This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select... Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky stepping up, fires down the sideline. Robinson makes the catch. From the Raiders to the Bears, Khalil Mack, now officially in Chicago. Brought down, Khalil Mack. Welcome back to the Chicago Shuffle Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Lee, here on a frigid Wednesday in Portland, Oregon. Here to preview this Sunday night's tilt at Soldier Field against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and I am joined today by Jeff Hughes of De Bears Blog, who's here to share a wealth of information uh, and an extra helping of angst and frustration on the side. So why wait any further? Let's get Jeff on the show and let's get into it. Before we even get into things, I like pre-plugs. So where can people find you and your work if they're looking for you? Uh, com at De Bears Blog on Twitter. Been going at the blog thing now for 15 years and... Still doing it. Still, still writing about this team every single day, all year round. Uh, even though they've they've basically broken me this year, but it's still churning out content. And <laughs> one thing I will say is that it, you will not find content like it anywhere else. We have poems. We have movie lists. <laughs> we've just started wandering around the spectrum because, you know, I mean, how many times could you write Mitch Trubisky's not the guy as a column? It just gets you get a little redundant. So we've tried to mix things up. So I, I take it that these last few weeks of um, improved performance haven't really changed your opinion of Mitch. No. So what I, here's what I would say, and someone actually phrased it very well on Twitter to me, and I'd love to give them credit, but I just can't remember who it was. And they said the one thing he may have done is move from needs to be replaced to needs competition. So if, if anything, I think maybe he's earned the right to fight for the job next year, which he was probably going to have anyway. They weren't going to cut him. There was no reason to do that. Um, but, it, again, the consistently bad performances in games against decent teams, it's just – it wears you down. And what he, his game against the Packers was bad. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are defending him. I don't understand it. I mean, I think I understand it from an emotional standpoint because facing the idea of him not being a franchise quarterback is a terrible future for the team. But he's proving it, and he proves it against almost all the good opponents. He has flashes of brilliance. He has flashes where you understand why you would draft him where you would draft him. And the other thing I said this week, and I really believe this, if this were a four-win team with four-win talent, you would have seen enough this year to say, hey, put him back out there next year, and let's see if he can be the guy. But is this franchise really willing to risk what is a very good roster and a, con- a championship-contending defense are they going to risk that on another developmental year from a quarterback who can't do the basics, can't uh, accurately read a defense, can't get into the right protections, uh, makes mistakes on RPO handoffs? 
there's just how how long are they willing to go down this road with the roster they've built around him before they finally make a change? And it's the fundamental question facing Ryan Pace. I'm going to take it that the last few games haven't changed your opinion then. And um, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm probably more content to agree with you than not. I do feel like <clears throat> the way there was this four four week period of um, this guy doesn't even know how to snap the ball, and so we've recovered from that. Insofar as he made a couple really great dime throws, and I I remember feeling that way his rookie year in the Fox offense when there was no talent at the wide receiver position and running an archaic offense, and still there'd be a couple throws where you're like, hey hey. We might actually have yep. something here. Then here we are two years later, and I think that same mentality persists where, you know, it doesn't matter that he had four straight in- incomplete passes on a critical drive. On the next one with 20 seconds left, he moved the ball right down the field. It's like, yeah, he, there's context to all of that. You kind of got to take the thing that happened before it and the, the dump-off pass to the flat to a defensive lineman th- this drive before that. So, you know... Did he move the ball much more effectively than he has previously? Of course he did. Did he make some unbelievable throws? Yeah, honestly, I, I actually didn't know he had a few of those in the tank. But there's all this other stuff where it's like there's just no consistency. And I think before you have flash plays as a quarterback, I think you need to have a higher floor. If you're going to be a game manager, if you're going to be a guy that, man, the offensive line is no good, we got to build that up around him, then you're not talking about a true leader of the team. You're talking about somebody that if you support them correctly, you might be able to win games. And that's just not what the number two pick in the draft is supposed to be. No, and let me let me say this about this offensive line stuff because this has become the new the new phrase for everyone who who thinks he's a real great player. The offensive lines in Houston and Seattle and in Kansas City are no good. I'm, when I tell you they're no good, I, I watch all these teams. They are no good, but their quarterbacks know how to create. And you draft him number two overall to make up for other deficiencies on your offense. Because remember the structure here. The idea is draft him number two overall because your goal is five years later you want to pay him $100 million. That's your goal. Your goal is you've got the guy and you're going to give him $100 million, which means there are going to be many positions on the offense that suffer because you're giving him $100 million. He's going to cover those deficiencies up, and right now he can't cover anything up because any time there's a wisp of pressure near him, he folds or he makes the wrong decision, or he doesn't run, or he runs to the line of scrimmage and throws a fastball at Tariq Cohen's chest for some reason. There's just, <laughs> I saw that one. There's, these, there's just these moments where you say, uh, the running thing I think is a serious conversation. He has clearly been shell-shocked by the injuries. He is afraid of contact. And at the one thing we're seeing with these running quarterbacks, yes, you do not want to take unnecessary hits. But you can't leave first downs on the board. You can't leave points on the board, especially for an offense like this Chicago offense that struggles to get first downs and points. You know, he's leaving a lot of plays on the board, not to mention the deep inaccuracy, which has cost them three or four touchdowns this year and probably three or four hundred yards of offense just on deep misses. He's... For all the physical moments where you say, look at that, that's that's an athlete, there's too many mental mistakes. And... He shouldn't be making those three years in unless you're a believer that this was a bigger project that even the Bears had known, and this was a guy who probably should have sat for multiple years. He didn't have a lot of experience in college, and maybe he'll find it the way an Alex Smith found it in years four, five, and six. Is that I, something I you believe might that, happen? That's where the Bears have to – I have to believe the Bears have to be there because 
I don't know where their options are otherwise this offseason. I mean, does Andy Dalton come in next year and make them a 10-win team? He probably does because he'll complete those passes. He won't, he won't make the, the, the mental mistakes. But is Andy Dalton going to be getting them back to the playoffs year after year for five years? Of course not. You know, the Bears' best bet is they have to bank on this kid with competition next year, winning the job and turning a corner. But he has a long way to go to get around that corner. And I actually think fans have not quite understood how far back he is from the corner because the things he's doing are not always visible to the regular fan eye. The getting into the wrong protections, the running into the wrong looks, uh, that kind of stuff by year three, you've got to be better. Because I just, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of history that says quarterbacks suddenly figure out how to read defenses in their fourth and fifth years. Yeah, the, no, I, I can't disagree with that aspect of what you said. I think the fact that they had to make the offensive line switch they did and put Cody Whitehair back in, in charge of the protection yeah. says plenty in that regard. Um, and you know that so that had a lot that had a lot to do with Kyle Long. So yes, uh, it, it's a multifaceted moved, thing. All these things are multifaceted yeah. things, and I think you know that's something that needs to be added to the Trubisky conversation, which is Nagy's failure to support him uh, correctly. And again. It's it's you know incumbent upon Trubisky to succeed in whatever environment he's put in. I'm not trying to create excuses for him, but I do think uh, Nagy's scheme, what they've tried to run this year, has totally mismanaged what Mitch does well and kind of emphasized what he doesn't do well. And I think it's important to point that out if we're going to have this conversation. I, I don't agree with it. I mean, we can have the conversation. I don't. I actually don't agree with that. I mean, if you look statistically at what this offense is this year, they're they're almost identical. They run the ball at the same rate they did a year ago with one big difference. <laughs> Mitch is not running the ball. And Nagy is scheming wide receivers open all over the field, and you're seeing now with Anthony Miller, and you're seeing now with Allen Robinson, that these guys are open. You know, he's got to get them the ball, and he's got to stop putting them into bad looks. I mean, that, that's the element of this that I, that I keep harping on, which is I, I understand they're all, the right side of their offensive line is hurt and not there, and their tight ends have been an absolute disaster this year. That's probably the thing missing the most from the offense. But statistically, their, their pass protection is above average in this league. There's no excuse for him to be making the fundamental mistakes he's not. But by the way, even the way I'm talking about him now, listen to how low my bar is. He should not only should he not be making mistakes, he should be elevating this offense. He should be creating plays. He should be making exciting throws down the field, like his colleagues are who came out of those drafts. And he's not doing any of that stuff other than this last couple of games where you've seen moments where you go, that's what we're looking for. Roll to your right, throw deep to your left to an open guy. That's the play you're supposed to be making. I mean, how many exciting plays has Mitch Trubisky made this year? Six? Seven? I mean, he is so far behind where he needs to be for this team to be a championship team that I think we're just nitpicking the stuff around him because people don't want to just say, hey, he's no good. And right now, when you don't you don't by accident have six games in the sixties quarterback rating in this league. Six games in the sixties. Patrick Mahomes has one in two years. One. And it was the worst game he's ever played in Denver. Like this is this is a guy who, who goes out there routinely and delivers subpar efforts against not even the Charger defense, the Eagles secondary, the Giants. I mean, he was no good in those games. Yeah, so I, I just, I, I think you know, 
step one to being an angry Bears fan is to make any sort of comparisons to Mahomes or Watson. And like, you know, if you, I've got the receipts. If you go back, I was pounding the table for Watson pre-draft. Trubisky was sure. somebody I didn't really know until like the draft process. He was one of those guys that rose up. But, you know, again, if you look, there's a ton of consensus saying that he was the most talented quarterback, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I oh, do- yeah, no problem. I had no problem with them drafting him. Yeah, no, no, I, I didn't either, and I didn't know enough about him. I did think that Watson was sort of inexplicable not to draft, given his track record of success. But what do I know? I'm not an NFL scout, you know, that, exactly. that sort of thing. And, but, like, as it pertains to today, I think, you know, what I believe of Mitch has changed. I, the bar I'm measuring up against is himself versus this kind of, like, angsty pain of what could have been. It's just never going to be. And so somewhere along the line this season, I just kind of let go of that. And I think it was somewhere around the point where I just gave up on Mitch and I'm like, all right, we are going to have to reboot and start a new generation of hunting for a quarterback for still the first effective one that I've had during my lifetime as a Bears fan. And I don't want to hear this shit about Eric Kramer or Jim McMahon. They were fine quarterbacks. I want a good quarterback. I want to actually know what it's like to have a bad team that wins because the quarterback is just that damn good. Still isn't part of my lifetime experience. Would really love to know what it's like. And and so where I'm at now is measuring Mitch against Mitch. Um, I, I will give him a little bit of credit in certain regards. I'm not trying to defend him I'm not trying to say that he's been good that would be really foolish to do it's a pretty empty cupboard to try to root around in but uh look as it pertains to Nagy and the offense and what it is this year and Mitch not running that's sort of inexplicable and we've never really gotten a clear answer on it in fact Mitch is starting to leak out little comments here and there about enjoying moving the pocket and that sort of thing so there's a disconnect there I don't think it's wrong to kind of highlight that uh, they're not using him to his strengths in that regard, and they're trying to make him into a pocket quarterback that he's not. Um, if that's Nagy's offense and that's the way it needs to be designed, then that's a failure of planning on everybody's part, all the way up to the top of management to say, hey, this is the way we want to run things, and this is not who this guy is. I would challenge that as well, though. I mean, it, it, the offense he's running is being run in Philadelphia. It's being run in Kansas City. Those guys, they very rarely move the pocket as part of a pre-snap call. Totally. The pocket gets moved when the quarterback senses pressure and goes out there. And, and too often, Mitch has decided to stand like a... Like, he plays sometimes like Kerry Collins, but he's got the athleticism to get out of the pocket and make plays. And I, I, I actually think, and I've said this basically since the Saints game where it seemed very apparent to me, I think he's very overwhelmed. I think he's very confused. I don't think he knows what he's seeing. I think when you say move the pocket for him, why he likes that is because it cuts half the field off. Totally. You know, you roll him out to the right, and he can see. But if you cut half the field off, you've cut half the offense out. And if you roll him out to his right, look at how many times you've seen a streaking Taylor Gabriel or a streaking Anthony Miller just rolling across the left side of the field wide open, and he's missed them. So I get that he wants everything simplified, but... What, my belief on all this has been the same. I think this blindsided the coaching staff. I don't think they saw any sign of this in the lead-up to the season, that this would be so overwhelming and difficult for them. And I think about midway through the season, they dialed back this offense significantly. I just don't think they've dialed it back enough. I don't think he can handle it. I don't think he can run it. And I, and I think they, their only option now is to either dramatically shift this offense in the offseason around exactly what he wants to do, which I would not do because I don't think he's good enough to do that for, or hope he makes a turn and turns into a different player next year. 
Well, yeah, I, and I think we we probably need to. We'll, we'll, we'll we could do Mitch for an hour and a half today, but um, yeah, just sure. to just to kind of like not put a bow on it, but I, I do think that Nagy's offense is predicated on an Alex Smith type player. Uh, and what I mean by that is somebody who you can who can effectively manage an offense forward, and that you know that you can get consistency even on short passes. It's almost an extension of the run game in certain respects. And so, when you look at run pass balance, and you look at how that that cashes out at the end of the day, it's always going to be skewed towards the passing side. It's actually an, an inaccurate statistic because some of the so many of those things are extended runs, almost you know effectively long handoffs, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And and so Andy Reid, Andy Reid invented that stuff. Exactly, Andy Reid invented that stuff in Philly. It's they used exactly. to kill Andy Reid for throwing the ball to Brian Westbrook twenty times a game right. instead of handing it to Deuce Staley. Right. It's a it is a intelligence make the read, make the accurate throw. That that's the offense, and I think the RPO component is what what's become the new addition to it over the last three or four years, and. You know, Mitch is very good at those either. So who the hell knows? Who knows, man? And and you know, Nagy has his own little flavors on these things. And I think you know, Mark Helfrich is an interesting person to look at in the off season. Is he going to be back? Is the structure of this offense going to change? Are you I going to? I, I would, no, uh, I don't think he will be. But you don't think he will? He'll be back. I don't think he will. Be. I, no, there's, I, there's, a, there's a lot of rumblings inside the team yeah. that I could tell you. Helfrich, Chase Daniel, uh, Dave Ragone, the, the the infrastructure that yep. was built around the quarterback has come under a lot of scrutiny by the organization. And one thing that's been discussed openly, and I don't know that it'll happen, but it makes a lot of sense, is that Helfrich will be moved out and Brad Childress will be moved into a full-time offensive coordinator role. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if Brad would actually call the plays, but to go to a to sort of a more traditional yep. offensive coordinator role, which is something that they've avoided to this point, which, it's, oddly enough, has happened to Andy Reid like eight times in his career. So it's... It's it's not something Nagy won't be familiar with. It, it's bring somebody in to stabilize thing, stabilize the call, stabilize the structure, stabilize the system for him. Um, and the other thing that's going to happen, that's going to be the big change on offense, will be Chase Daniel was brought in as support. He was brought in to help Mitch. Uh, that that backup quarterback role will dramatically change whether they to. want Mitch to be the starter or not. They have to have a Tannehill now. That'll be the model people look at. Which Absolutely. Is, we're we're going to go with our guy. But if it's three weeks in and he's failing, we better have a guy who can come in and win, not just a guy who, who comes in when he's hurt. Which, so, by the way, scale of one to ten, how pissed will you be if they identify Mariota as that guy? I, I listen. I'm terrified of it. I, <laughs> I think it's I think the worst case scenario for he's me. one of the more interesting GMs I've ever sort of looked at and studied because he is prolifically good at evaluating mid-round talent across the roster. But he has, in my mind, he has two major flaws, and that is he is off on quarterbacks, and I think he's going to kill the Bears ultimately with kicker anyway because I think they've just mishandled that now for two years. But um, the quarterback thing, he was in love with Mariota. That's not rumor. He was in love with Mariota, and they were desperate to go up and get him. Mariota is maybe less accurate than Trubisky. I mean, oh, he's, he's those, a bust. Those two, he's effectively yeah, a bust. It, but I could see Mariota being the guy. I mean, I could see it. It makes he'll be cheap, uh, and they're going to see guys like him. Will see the Chicago situation as uh, uh, I'll, I'll find the right word for it. But the, the, they will like that situation because sure. they're going to see a vulnerable Mitch. And yeah, there's a chance to start on a really talented team there. Yeah, and, it, and if you're Mariota and you say, "Okay, what if I take a one-year, six million-dollar deal to go be a high-profile backup to this kid?" 
what I can go to the summer and beat him out. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see Andy Dalton want that job. I don't think Cam Newton. I, I'm not sure Cam Newton's going to play again. People think he's definitely coming back. We'll see. And then there's a lot of the specter of Alex there. Smith, who is who lingers over over the entire league because Alex Smith has told everybody who will listen that he's coming back. Man, so, I don't want that. I don't. I can't. It, it, but that's the hamster wheel. So this is what I was talking about earlier. That's the hamster wheel. Yeah. When you get when you when the franchise quarterback, the kid, busts, you get on the hamster wheel, and that's just the same seven, eight names. And it, your your best your best case scenario is they have a shot in the dark, good year. But you're never going to get consistency. You're never going to get multiple playoff wins. That's what happens when you start diving into the vet pool. There's not a lot of great players there because nobody lets great quarterbacks leave. We did this on a previous pod and kind of going through the the quarterback options. I think it was at the lowest of the low points during the season. Um, and, and basically it was that if the Bears don't bring in competition for the starter position and draft a developmental quarterback to get in the room and to have somebody that they're always working on, always, like – I don't care if we're talking about this year. Even if Mitch had been successful, you always need to be bringing somebody in because it's a tradable asset of high value. You can turn a sixth rounder into a third rounder, into a second rounder. Bill Belichick, you know, uh, who's rostered the best quarterback of all time, depending upon how you feel about cheating, has always had a developmental quarterback in the room, and he's traded Garoppolo, Brissett, you name it. You know, uh, there's uh, mm-hmm. Matt, Matt Castle. He has turned those into real assets again and again and again. And I don't understand why that hasn't been copied around the league. You should always have another draft pick coming into the room and if you believe a guy is a Tyler Bray who's really good for the room and is good for the practice squad and the scout team that's a fucking failure that's not what that roster spot's does, supposed does, to be but does any does anybody copy anything Belichick does I, I've always I've always sort of they marveled at like he's a terror he's a terrible drafter like it's a, the comical part of the Belichick legacy is you go look at his first round picks they are a myriad of first round busts but it doesn't matter because he's the smartest guy in the league and he has the best quarterback of all time. And if you're the smartest coach in the league with the best quarterback, you're going to be there. And also, he's had the luxury of, of a historically bad division for two decades. That also so, that. But, but that, that's the thing about, about Belichick. I, I think most teams say we can't afford the luxury of a developmental third quarterback because we need that roster spot and we're going to lose him off a practice squad or – you know, mm-hmm. Belichick doesn't give a damn because that developmental guy is always his backup. And so it, it, mm-hmm. if they go, if the Bears go and draft, say, a, a third-round pick, they take a quarterback there, or a fourth-round pick, well, are they gonna, they're going to have to roster that guy every week because their backup can't be that guy. Their backup's going to have to be someone who has experience. So now you're using one of your 53 and probably an inactive every week on a developmental third player, and the pro team values those spots oh I mean, critically no it's a good point it's a really good point like you know the bears are in a position where they'd have to hurt the rest of the roster in order to take that that path i would contend that it's so important that it's worth it but you know i i yeah i, I think I'd, i think i'd agree with you i think right now especially it is <laughs> i would not be hesitant to take a quarterback in the second round this year and right if there's a guy you think can start in the next couple of years why not Yes, you need, a, you need a, go, a right guard. You definitely need a tight end. But don't reach for need. If there's a quarterback there who you think has a chance to be a starter in this league, the Bears are crazy not to take him because how many times have we seen it? That kid might come to camp and blow them away, and he starts in September. So, so, so let me just like propose this be, to you. Jalen Hurts is available at one of those second-round picks. How do you feel about that? 
<laughs> I don't know enough about him. I mean, he's one of those guys who I just wonder when they get to the pro level. I yeah. mean, the numbers are so gaudy, and you, I mean, he's playing in the worst conference in the history of mankind defensively. It's, you know what? Listen, I wouldn't. I I'm always of the mindset with quarterbacks. I don't see the, the shots never a bad idea. Look at how many teams are kicking themselves now because they didn't take the shot on Lamar Jackson. You know, the, the, the Patriots, there was a lot of talk. They wanted him. Every team, the Ravens passed on him. And right. then they have to go back and get him. So everybody knew what the physical talents were. Nobody knew if those talents could be wrangled into an efficient starter. And now you're going to see, I think you're going to see way more teams say, what the hell? We have the 23rd pick. We have a quarterback, but this kid could be special. Let's bring him in. I mean, and quarterback evaluation is a coin flip game, no matter how you how good you are at no it. No matter how, no matter what. But listen, the whole draft is a coin flip, and and with quarterback, it's going to be even more so because now these these crazy athletes like Lamar Jackson. Oh, so I don't think he's going to change anything. I think he's a special, borderline one of a kind type player. And the, one, the thing about him that's miraculous is he gets up from every hit. I've watched 10 of their games this year where I've said after a hit, well, he's not getting up from that. And he pops right up to his feet, and some guys are just built differently. And if you see his neck, his neck is the size of a Buick. I mean, he is, he is built. He's a, he's a big dude. So, you know, I, I think the Bears, they, I, I know they need help on the right side of the O-line. They need help at tight end. They could use another pass rusher. But... Their whole, the first meeting of this offseason has to be, okay, what is our quarterback room from every perspective? Who's the offensive coordinator? Who's the quarterback coach? Who's the backup? What's the backup's role? Is he going to challenge this kid, or is he going to be another support staff player? And are we looking in the draft for a quarterback? I know that, and I was told this from very reliable folks, they opened up their scouting to quarterback in the middle of the season. So they, that was not on their radar, but they have put quarterback back on their radar in terms of the draft. So it's not a dead issue for them at all. So that, that's, that's their pressing issue. They've got to solve that position once and for all and not squander this window with this defense, which, I mean, two, three more years max you're getting out of them. So, I mean, you've got to get somebody there who can just make the throws. And it does feel like critical to that conversation is, you know, and again, I think there's a, some assumptions in what I'm about to say, but if you move on from Helfrich, Ragone, you know, that part of the quarterback room, and you're going to bring somebody else in to help, you know, be offensive coordinator and, and shift the identity of the team a little bit under Nagy, like what is that going to look like and how does that affect Trubisky, whatever other quarterback you might bring into the room, whoever you might draft? Because that does feel like a, a critical part of, of the calculus. It's a, I, the model that everyone loved with Carson Wentz was Carson Wentz, uh, Doug Peterson coached him, Frank Wright, offensive coordinator, John Filippo as quarterback coach. I don't think it is coincidental that since that structure has broken down, Carson Wentz hasn't been the same player. And I think the Eagles have really learned that over the last few years, that that support staff was critically important. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with Trubisky and Nagy right now. I get the sense that there is tension. There was definitely tension from the Nagy side because he was getting frustrated with the kid, and he tried to pair it back. And now I think Trubisky is trying to assert himself more because I would think Trubisky sees a guy like Lamar Jackson and a team that is running an offense specifically to what he does and thinking, why doesn't this team run an offense more to exactly what I do? I like now, that. I, 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 I like that he's actually asserting himself a little bit. 100%. I, I'm writing about this tomorrow. He's become a more fiery guy with the media. 
you know, I'm, I'm very close with a few of these of the beat writers, and one, one of them told me he is now coming into the meeting room with anger. Yeah. Even when they were winning, he comes in a little pissed off, and he's shorter with his answers, and he's less cliched, and he seems fired up. And I think if he can approach this, like, and I, let us start Sunday night. You're going head-to-head now with the, with the guy who's, whose success haunts you. You're going head-to-head with Mahomes. Go out there and play a, play a street game and play angry. And, and fling it around. And you can throw a pick, who cares? Fling it three more times down the field. You know, he, he, he has an opportunity still to go out and win this job and prove he can do it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know how long you wait. <laughs> that, that's, that's, the, that's what Pace has to, to, to deal with right now. How long are you willing to, to wait before you make a final verdict on it? Well, I think like let's have a quick conversation about the numbers and like the room the Bears have to make that sort of switch, and then we can move on to Kansas City a little yeah. bit. But like, look, a lot of guys are getting big raises next year, and and the cap is in a troubled spot just based on how uh, money has been allocated. And you can always create more cap space. You know, the the cap is always going up. You can always re-sign guys and roll money forward. But just in terms of the conversation, Bobby Massey goes from four million to eight million. Leno goes from three million to ten million. Whitehair goes from two to seven. Um, you know, Kyle Long comes off the books, but you do need to do some work on the offensive line, probably draft and free agency. Um, you know, like how much money can the Bears car and tight end is obviously, you know, it goes without saying that they kind of need to redo the room. How much money can the Bears carve out for a uh, for a quarterback, given the needs they have to rebuild the roster? They they can get so, so the, the the guy we have uh, got him John Wood who's great on Twitter he he's sort of broken down a lot of the numbers and they they can get to thirty million dollars of availability this offseason if they want to I mean you're bringing probably Prince of Mukamura off the books you're bringing Fine several veterans off the, yeah and he's and he's been actually been a really good bear he just looks he, like he's hit the end of the road exactly and exactly there's a there's a bunch of play, but but again when you say how much money can you spend on a quarterback what's what who, what are they buying. So if you're buying Cam Newton, no, I don't know if they have that kind of money because I can't imagine Cam going for a one-year deal anywhere. Right. But if you're buying Andy Dalton, I mean, what's Andy Dalton costing you? One year for one year, six or seven? Oh no way! Sort of, no way! He's got to be in the teens. He's got to be. Who's paying Andy Dalton thirteen million dollars next year? Psst, the Bears. So <laughs> if they're if they're negotiating against themselves and they get to thirteen million dollars, then they have made a terrible error in judgment. No, no. But I mean, I, again, I don't. I don't think there's going to be a thriving marketplace for Andy Dalton. I mean, uh, I I don't say thriving marketplace. I just think that when quarterbacks are out there getting thirty four million, I think we need to adjust the number uh, in our head of like what you might be able to get on a one year deal like what is, so Tannehill is playing one year on what what what's that contract is he getting 8 I don't know I'd have to I'd have to look that up but yeah I mean it's 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 not and, that much but he effectively written off as a bust and I think Mariota is going to be the same sort of thing where it's a high backup salary sort of thing a a Teddy Bridgewater number a uh, yeah. but then I think of like these guys who envision people as as a bridge quarterback, and, and you know Ryan Pace really fudged the numbers when he got Glennon for fifteen per. I mean, I think that was, you know, that that's more of a glaring uh, red flag on Pace and a conversation we don't need to kind of dive yeah. into. But I, I think that there's going to be there's you know only so many quarterbacks in the league, and I think you know if Tampa Bay goes back to Jameis, like what's Jameis Winston worth? Like that's the I'm so glad we don't have to pay that guy. He's going to get twenty ish. 
per, I, yeah. you know, or, or there, and there's always the looming franchise tag for guys like that, that are in house. It's like, well, you know, you're going to have to come somewhere near that number because if you want a one year deal, like that's how much it's going to be. So I don't know what Dalton's going to cost, but 7 million feels like an insane bargain. I mean, that, that's, that's where I see. I mean, I see him coming in under $10 million, and especially if he's a guy who fancies himself a starting quarterback in the league, because there just aren't that many open slots. And, you know, Nick Foles got what? I mean, Nick Foles got like $20 million a year. Yep. So it's like, so Nick, that's, that's where I see someone like Teddy Bridgewater landing next year. But there's a lot of talk in New Orleans that if they win the Super Bowl, Breeze is walking away and Bridgewater's walking into that job. Yep. So, this feels very walk away like, you know, all the passing yeah, records yeah, and everything Breeze, else. Yeah, Breeze seems like he's, he's, he just wants that one more. So they should probably have won the last two. But the team just seems snake bit. I know. Um, I would I would say yeah I think you're looking at somebody in the one year ten million dollar range, maybe you get them two or three maybe maybe with Dalton you go two years a little bit more and you can slide some money into year two mm-hmm. I mean I, I mean otherwise where are you looking because Mariota is going to be I think exactly what you just described I'd be shocked if Mariota is more than one year seven seven eight million dollars uh, then you're the, the next the next drop is the Fitzpatrick's of the world so. You don't want to go there. So if you're looking for a guy to come in and actually be a competent starter, if you need him to be, I think there's going to be very few of those on the market, especially if Bridgewater's not on the market. Uh, who was the other one that I was just thinking about? As Oh, Jameis. You know, Jameis. Jame- Bruce Arians is going to keep Jameis. He, oh, yeah. he'll, figure, he'll figure that out. But you, Jameis is prolific as hell. He just throws three picks a week. I mean, it's it's pinball. It's it's amazing. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. So, all right. It's crazy. So, okay. Yeah. So, it sounds like Dalton is your your personal number one option in terms of Mish competition. Is that fair to say? I just think that he fits the bill. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I'm not a Dandy Dalton guy. No, no, no. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say you are. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's that's the that's the the kind of player that. I thought they'd be looking at, and I go, the guy I was really looking at midseason, and the contract's just impossible to escape. But if Atlanta blew that up, I was really wondering if they could somehow get Matt Ryan out oh, of Atlanta. Boy. And again, Matt Ryan's not a great player anymore, but Matt Ryan running this offense would throw for 4,500 yards. And, uh, but I, I don't, that, that number is so obscenely high yeah. that I don't think Atlanta can do it. So I, I think. You're looking at guys who are coming off the books for their teams, and you know, the, can Jacksonville somehow escape the Foles deal? I mean, they're going to blow that up down there. Uh, those are the kind of guys. I mean, it, it's it's it looks way less exciting now than it even did a few months ago, where there looked like there's going to be some guys on the market. Mm-hmm. It, it's looking like Mitch Trubisky will start in September. Yeah, or, or you know. And if that's the case, it means that whoever they brought in for competition isn't really all that, you know, either effective or uh, just wasn't really all that good in the first place. So it's not yeah. really. And also, they've got a. They've, they've got, I tweeted about this during the week. So if they're having a competition, where does that take place? Because are they going to play everybody in the preseason this year? Uh, they better. They better. I think. I think the the philosophy for how they've approached the preseason needs to be readjusted, given how they struggled out of the gates. I think that Trubisky is a guy that, for all his failures, for however he plays, he needs a a running start in however you go about things. Whether he's coming off of injury, whether it's coming into a season, whether it's a, off of a bye week, whatever the reason may be, if he isn't like really repped up, you have a problem. He's going to have an absolutely shit game. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would expect him to start. I, I don't playing think you'll get many. I don't think he gets many of those. Next- 
next year. I don't care who the backup is. No, I, I, I don't totally agree. Ryan Ryan Pace goes goes seven and nine with Mitch next year. I don't. I still don't think they'd fire him off that. But then they go straight hot seat for both him and Nagy the following year, and that 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 gets ugly. I think Mitch Mitch might get the start week one, and, but but they'll they they need somebody on that roster who, if he struggles after two weeks, is going is is. It's taken over. Yep, you know, a super short leash at this point, full competition, yep. and that's how it should be. I think it's a failure of the organization not to have appropriate competition uh, at the position at all times. That's the nature of the quarterback position. Just like, I mean, I don't want to give the Jaguars any credit because they're not a very well-run franchise at this point, but uh, to have a, a draft pick for a Gardner Minshew, they're like, we got room, we got a developmental guy. Turns out he can play, let him play. And I think, you know, that's what right. Seattle did. They spent a ton of money on a really terrible backup bridge quarterback. Russell Wilson shows up. It's his job. He's a rookie starter. That's just how it works. Uh, people forget that, Matt. The Matt Flynn contract is forgotten in history, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's that's just how things work, which is, oh, you, you know, like a quarterback fell into your lap and all of a sudden you just move forward to the franchise. Nobody really wonders how you spent money. Nope. And I think if Trubisky's a, a real player, then Mike Glennon is already forgotten to history and he isn't in competition on the Raiders, on the Raiders, uh, in the Raiders quarterback room with, um, oh man, I always forget his name because he's so terrible at football. He doesn't deserve to have a name. Uh, Peterman, Peterman. Oh, and Nate, Nate the Great. Yeah, Nate the Great. So, all right, so I don't know if it matters. I don't know if it's even, you know, that that interesting, but let's talk about the Chiefs game. What matters to you sure. in this game? Mitch, that's it. Yeah, this is this is the start of the competition as far as I'm concerned. I thought the Packer game was sort of the end of the 2019 season. For all intents and purposes, the start of 2020 for this run, and you'll start to see more guys get moved to IR now, mm-hmm. and you'll start to see, I think, the younger guys get into the games. Uh this is all about Mitch now. He, he's got two games here to start his argument for being the guy. And I, I'll tell you, Ryan Pace and Nagy would like nothing more than two brilliant efforts so that they could at least not have to break the bank looking for a guy to replace him. They, they want him to be the guy. And I think that the argument starts Sunday night because, remember, that broadcast, I'm writing a piece about this tomorrow, that broadcast is going to bring up the 2017 draft every 11 minutes. Oh, it sure. is going to be Mitch Mahomes, Mitch Mahomes. It'll be every other word out of Collinsworth's mouth. They will, it will be all about him. And if he can deliver a big performance in prime time in front of the country against Mahomes, I think it'll go a long way towards building his confidence. But every time I get into this, this frame of mind where I, I see an opportunity like this for him, he usually, he usually flounders. So that, that's it. This game's about Mitch. The, the next two are about Mitch. And then, I, honestly, the offseason's about Mitch. It's, it's all Mitch till next September. <laughs> and that'll define the 2020 team. Yeah, no, I mean, like, every every Bears game is always going to be centered on the quarterback and on Mitch, and I, I think that's a, a really critical part of it. Um, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I think almost every game he plays is part of that evaluation for me. I think if I'm going to add to that, I, I do want to see the defense, and the defense has been really good this year. I understand it wasn't what it was last year, but basically, you know, overall, there's a ton of unrestricted free agents coming out on the 2020 roster. There's a number of guys that they're going to have to make tough decisions on, and I'll just kind of like list off a couple of them off the top of my head, but like, you know, Nick Williams likely gone, just a positional depth. They'll have to kind of move on from him, but Danny Trevathan, Nick the Quick, uh, Aaron Lynch and even Kevin Pierre Lewis, who I think we've all discovered now is actually 
Um, a, a, yeah, he can play. He's quality depth at, at the very, very yeah. least, and it'd be really good to have him back in the fold. So a lot of change happening in the linebacker group. I think Nick Kwiatkowski should be back in the Bears uniform, and, and at least for me in terms of the numbers, that sort of thing, you kind of need to move on from Danny Trevathan at this point and give Nick yeah, the job. Yeah, I, I think they will. I, although, you know, Danny – Danny's injury was significant, and, and yeah. Danny might decide to do a, a one-year deal himself and just come back and stay part of this. Um, I know he loves it in Chicago, and he loves playing on this defense. Uh, he's sort of become a mentor to Roquan as well, and Roquan needs it. So uh, it is – I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Danny, Roquan, and Nick are all back in, in one way or another, but Nick might get paid. Yeah, I he's know. Been, He's been he's been really good. I know he screwed this up month. for us. I know. Yeah, he really. I mean, it's the coverage stuff that yeah, nobody totally. saw coming. Totally. Nobody. I mean, he should have picked Aaron Rodgers. He probably would have scored on that play if he catches the ball. He should have. He, he actually reminded me of '54 on that play to the point that I was like, I couldn't believe he made the play that he made. Uh, he could get paid, or again, might be a guy who says, "I love it here. I love being part of this defense. Uh, this is where I'll have the best chance to, to be." successful I, I don't think there'll be as much change on defense as other people think hmm. so I, I i just think that that's they know where their where their bread is buttered and and i think that they're gonna the off season this year is going to be about the offensive line and tight end position and they're going to hope and pray trey burton can play i mean that's that's a contract you can't escape so uh, he's getting paid he's getting paid like a top tight end he's got to get on the field and he's got to play and he hasn't been healthy in, in a year and a half and it's it's frustrating them to no end yeah, I mean, so what's he got left for guaranteed money? I, don't, I actually don't know off the top of my head. Oh, it's it's. I think he's got next year. Is, I think they're they're out on that contract is after next year. Got it. So I mean, I think he just swallowed too much next year. And listen, they're not going to go sign somebody to play tight end who's more talented than him. He is a really talented player. He just is never on the field. Shaheen's a straight up bust, but we can all yeah. agree. Yeah, no, they need to move on from that. that that Shaheen doesn't work, and he won't be back. But but they need Burton to be part of this because you're seeing this offense can work with Jesper Horstead and J.P. Holtz. I mean, if Trey Burton's out on the field, he could have prolific games in this offense, but we shall see. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's a draft position as well to look at. It doesn't necessarily yeah, mean it's one, of the, one of the second-round picks, but I think that's one that they're going to have to get more depth in the room given how those years played out. Uh, yeah, Trey Burton's still got two more years on his deal. I can't see guaranteed money right here, but it does sound like you know the way things are structured <clears throat> and the way that Ryan Pace has built the roster, it's usually one more year and then uh, before yeah. they really have to break things down and just make a decision at the quarterback position, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that. And then there's the fact that the secondary is totally going to turn over. Uh, Haha Clinton-Dix was on a one-year deal, a really cheap one. McManus is out of contract. Bush is out of contract. Houston Carson is out of contract. And likely Amukamara is gone, just based on the conversation you yeah. and I were having. Having, which is kind of looks like he's at the end of the road and his number doesn't really fit. So is Kevin Tolliver now the starting quarter, uh, right quarterback? Like I, I don't know exactly how the Bears play that out, but that's a room that's going to move around a lot. Yeah, it, it will. Yeah, it will. And, and uh, I think they'll resign. Haha. I, I think they they've already had started having those those chats. Uh, I think Kevin Tolliver will start. I, I think you will see a Kevin Tolliver, Kyle Fuller, Buster Screen starting corners, and McManus is a guy who, honestly, the, one, the weird thing about McManus this season is that Cordell Patterson has, has been so good on specials, on, on both sides of specials, yeah. that you know McManus might be a guy that they don't mind losing next year and letting them go somewhere. So uh, I, I think they need 
to just add depth at corner, but I think they are pretty much solid with who their starters are going to be. They, they love Kevin Tolliver. Uh, I would be surprised if Tolliver doesn't start this week. And I'd be surprised if Chris oh, yeah. doesn't put an IR, and they just don't give him a couple of weeks here to, to evaluate him, especially against this passing attack. I think it'd be a great opportunity for him to get out there. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And and they do have a little bit of developmental depth. Like, Duke Shelley is a guy that's on the roster, and they, yeah. they seem to really like him. I understand that, like, there's those aspects of things, but clearly there's going to have to be some new blood as well and some money allocated to, to acquiring those guys. Um, yeah, I, that'll be something I'm watching in the offseason. Again, it'd be great to have all these guys back, but, I mean, if you've got – and just to switch back to the linebacker group for a second, if you've got Iggy, who's on the roster, who's a special teams player at this point, um, that's just another guy who's rostered. Are they going to be able to say, you know what, let's bring back Nick and Kevin Pierre-Lewis as well? Like, at some point, you're going to have to let some of these guys walk out the door. I really hope it's not Nick, just because of how he's played, uh, you know, as you yeah, as you said, in depth. But but he may be one of those guys that just for the number that a team throws at him, which may seem like a totally stomachable number, it's just a bit too much for the Bears given what their needs are, given the quarterback position, given, given, given. So it'll be something I'm watching pretty closely because we're reaching that point where the, the Bears' talent and their depth is going to start to be pilfered just based on how they've built the salary cap. Especially when you have a defense this talented and this deep, you're going to lose guys. I mean, it's, it's what the Ravens went through for years. You are just going to lose guys and you have to just you have to just keep building the system i mean that's you know you have a good front office when you can keep adding the players the way the ravens have done for years and have done on defense you just have to keep going to the draft and go into the those those cheap free agents and the undrafted free agents and you have to get guys in who contribute and the bears have done a great job of that on defense and less a way less great job of that on offense and just how would you evaluate chuck pagano's performance in his one year as bears defensive coordinator I think he's been good. I mean, I, I think what the Bears have dealt with as, uh, from a defensive scheme standpoint is every offense has come out and said, we are not going to let Khalil Mack ruin this game. And that means we are gonna, we're going to double him, we're going to chip him, we're going to send backs at him. He, he still, I think, is among the league leaders in hurries. The sack numbers aren't there, but those are, those are sometimes a little overrated. The, I mean, he's been influential in almost every single game. What I've been a little surprised at is that Chuck Pagano hasn't gone to more exotic pressure looks in order to sort of force, force the opponent into a big mistake. And I actually think the structure of this team is sort of a bend-don't-break defense right now, and they've been great at it. I mean, they're the third-scoring defense in the league. But uh, they actually have needed more out of their defense. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I'm surprised they haven't gone to that and said, hey, Let's risk a big touchdown down the field, and maybe we get a pick because our offense can't move the ball. I mean, that, that's, that's always felt to me like you, you have to start making some bold decisions as a coordinator when your offense can't do anything. And so I think he's been good. I think he'll continue to get better uh, with this talent. It's hard not to. And he's done it without a healthy linebacking core, without Akeem Hicks, uh, and without the big – Listen, turnovers and certainly touchdowns off turnovers, a lot of that's fluky. You never know yeah, when those are going to come. Yeah, that's variance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put yeah, yourself so, in a so situation. He, so he's it. done a really nice job considering his defense has very few explosive plays like that. Um, you don't question his usage of Eddie Jackson this year? No, no, because and, and Eddie Jackson will be the first one to tell you. Eddie likes the way he's being used. And, and the, the team has built a structure now around Eddie Jackson sort of being the captain of this defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, he has taken a sub- supreme leadership role. And they do not want Eddie Jackson to just be a center fielder 
rolling around in the back because they think that's too predictable. They want to move Eddie Jackson around. They want to they want to they want to confuse opponents with where he's going to be on the field because a lot of a lot of the opponent, opposing offenses do not want to throw the ball anywhere near him. So I actually have no problem with how he's used Eddie Jackson. I would say the only thing I think he wanted to do way more with Roquan, but the Roquan situation got weird yeah, and they had to dial it back. They just they had to pair back what they were asking him to do. And then once Trevatha got hurt, I actually think Roquan stepped up so brilliantly in those few weeks that that they started to get, and then he got hurt. So right, right. Um, I, I think give him a full, give him this full defense next year, and you'll see some different things, and and the explosive play should return. Hmm. I like that. And then Leonard Floyd, obviously he's here for his fifth year, and that'll be that. But like, are you out on him as a long term bear? No, I'm not out on him. I, I he's the one guy that. I hear the most from other scouts of other teams saying he can do things in coverage that most guys at that position can't do. Oh, totally. The issue, the issue with that is they don't when when Akeem Hicks is not in there and he wasn't there for almost the entire season. You saw the lack of a of a consistent second pass rusher, and there's a Pagano thing. Maybe they should have moved to a more Leonard Floyd, uh, but outside rush the quarterback and do that, but. Listen, we've seen enough of it. He's a very uh, would be unstructured pass rusher. He's all athleticism. He sprints to the backfield and sort of waves his arms, and sometimes he grabs the guy and sometimes he doesn't. He's way more disciplined in coverage. So, listen, I think you need to – they didn't have what they got a year ago from Aaron Lynch. They, had, they didn't have that Aaron Lynch this year. Yeah, no. They didn't have that guy who could come in on third down and get pass rush, and they need that guy. And – that guy can be a veteran. That could be a one or two year deal, not too expensive guy. Uh, and now you're going to have to look to add him because if you're going to use Floyd in covers this much, you've got to have consistent pressure from someone on the other edge opposite Mac. Couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, we were talking about ways to uh, emulate Belichick earlier. And I think there's going to be a couple of veterans who are on the end of those mid range deals, six, seven million dollar a year deals that you can flip a, a late round pick for. And I think it's incumbent upon Pace to look for options like that because this isn't a situation where you can say, hey, let's let's burn a second round pick on this uh, outside linebacker. Boy, he's got these rush instincts. No, they need somebody who knows how to play right away, who can be a veteran presence and create pressure right away. So um, it's a conversation for. For another day of like who those people might be, who those candidates, but uh, the Bears need somebody who can contribute immediately. So I'm looking for a veteran presence to come in. Yeah, I agree with you. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we talked about Kansas City for exactly seven seconds on this Kansas City preview pod. You want to predict what you think the final score is going to be? Doesn't matter, but why not? Twenty-six, twenty-two, Chiefs. Huh. Twenty-two points feels like not bad for us these days. I don't know how we get to twenty-two, but I'll take it. Like a random two-point conversion. Kyle Fuller do. I've, I've been calling for a Kyle Fuller pick <laughs> six for like two months, Dude. and he's dropped three of them. So I think it's 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 due. I, I, listen, I think I think the Bears. This is a big game for Nagy. This is a big game for Mitch. The, the, the season is over, but they if they're not hyped to go up against your your mentor and to go up against the guy. You know, who was drafted behind you and has had all the success. If you're not pumped and motivated for this game, when are you ever getting pumped and motivated? I, I can see them coming out with a big effort. And I, I've been sort of saying this to people you know, they could use a signature win this year. They could use a win that fires up that Soldier Field crowd and gets people to believe that this program is going in the right direction offensively. And they have the stage for it, which you usually don't get once you're eliminated from the playoffs. But they have the stage for a signature win. 
I think they're going to play a, a really good game. Uh, I just don't think they're going to have enough. Yeah, and, you know, to the, the Chiefs' credit, they've kind of uh, – I wouldn't say they've fixed their defense, but they're a little bit tighter on that side of the ball than they'd been earlier this year. It used to be that you could run all over them and just they didn't yeah. really have anybody to stop you. So they've incurred some really – uh, interesting recent injuries, and they I think they just picked up Terrell Suggs off of waivers to yeah. try to plug some of those holes. So that's kind of one of those things, again, we don't need to get into this, but like the Bears' inability to run the football effectively, whether it's Mitch doing it, whether it's Montgomery, like there have been these games where you're like, even the Packers, the Packers, you can run on them. And the Bears' inability sure to shift their offense to take advantage of those things has been one of the frustrations of the season for me. I understand the structure of Nagy's offense. I understand how he wants to get things done. But if you can't lean into a team's weakness and scheme for that, then what kind of offense are you actually running? So that's a frustration for me. I know that like if I was trying to game plan against the Chiefs, it would be let me keep Mahomes off the field, let's control the ball, let's run on them. And I'm sure we're gonna gonna see that sort of stuff with RPOs with short tosses, you know, a ball control style of offense. But uh it would just be it would be such a thrill to see Montgomery actually be able to get positive yards regularly, uh, you know, it, within the box. Uh, it, it'll be tough with the with the right side of the offensive line being what it is. Yeah. It is you have two non-starters there. You, you have two guys who couldn't be on most rosters. And uh, when when half of your line like that, when the on the entire right side, and you saw they got pushed around last week. And uh, I, I I imagine that 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 Spagnola will do the same thing. I mean, Spagnola is a pressure guy. I imagine he will load up that left side and attack them and try to keep them off balance and, and show them things that they're not used to seeing. And and that will be difficult for them to handle. They're going to have to throw it. I, I don't see. I don't see the power run game coming out all of a sudden here in week no. 16 and no. going its head. You're going to have to toss it, and you're going to have to toss it 40 times. So hope for a really cold night, which they'll probably get, and and maybe Kansas City doesn't want to play in it. That that's that's sort of been it. Certainly worked. It certainly worked against Dallas. So these these cold games at night. A lot of these teams do not want to come and play in them. So yeah, let's 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 see if if they can catch them off guard and. And maybe Mitch goes out and has a great game. The Chiefs that played in the snow really effectively last week. Yeah, they probably don't like cold weather. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's a very different thing. Like when you play that that early game in snow, as opposed to when you're in Soldier Field and yeah. it's like and it's negative four wind chill. Yeah. And you're playing a, a an angry defense. It's, a, it's just a very different scenario. And I've, I've seen a lot of good teams go into that building at night. I've seen the Saints do it, and the Cowboys do it, and 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 I've seen. Uh, the Falcons do it in 05, where they get in there and they feel the temperature and they just don't want to play. Totally. And it's possible. But I, listen, I, I, I just want to see the Bears go out, give a big effort, score some points, get some positive things going on offense, and just start building some confidence going into next year. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I just, just to kind of piggyback on that, I think this is the first game that truly statistically, mathematically doesn't matter in terms of the playoffs. So I think the effort of the players, the guys who are engaged, especially with a lot of free agents coming up, speaks highly of Nagy's ability to keep the locker room together. Obviously, the character of the guys in the locker room is pretty positive in the first place. But I'm actually going to be watching pretty closely to see, you know, what this means for next year, how the team stays together, the effort they give. Because we're all looking towards 2020, and it starts, like you said, yep. right now. Um, yeah, it sure does. All right, Jeff, well, uh, where can people find you online? Where can we find you and yell at you if we don't like what you said? TheBearsBlog.com, at TheBearsBlog. I'm, I'm always willing to be yelled at. I don't mind. I don't take any of this shit too seriously. So, uh, And I'm, I'm going to voice my opinions even when they're unpopular. So 
and I, I'll probably be I won't be in a bar this Sunday night for the game I'll probably be at home so I'll be all over Twitter Sunday night good stuff man I really appreciate you coming on the show today uh, no worries man good talking to you Thanks again to Jeff for coming on the show. Make sure you check out his work at DeBearsBlog.com and on Twitter at DeBearsBlog. I always learn a lot from reading his work, and uh, I'm really stoked to get him on the show today to kind of share not just his knowledge, but his deep uh, and palpable angst and frustration over this year and the way things have gone. And that's just how life is in the NFL. It's good one year. It's horrific the next. Welcome to the roller coaster. I think that's why we tune in. Also, thanks to you for listening to the Chicago Shuffle today. Uh, we'll be back here on Sunday night slash Monday morning to recount the Kansas City Chiefs coming to town to face the Chicago Bears on Sunday night. The teacher, Andy Reid, comes home to face the disciple, Matt Nagy. The really great transcendent draft pick, Patrick Mahomes, comes home. Home? He's not from here. Comes to Chicago to face the embattled draft pick, Mitchell Trubisky. There's a lot to play for. There's uh, there's pride. I don't know if that's a reason to tune in, but for me, I'm looking at it like an on-ramp to 2020, that these games are basically preseason affairs slash an opportunity to see what the depth of the roster is that hasn't played to this point. Uh, so there's definitely a lot to look for in that regard. And again, as Jeff said, there's an opportunity for a signature win. We're out here to ruin seasons at this point, and any kind of performance where we can hang with a clear playoff team that has Super Bowl aspirations says a lot about the state of the team given that they don't have a dog in the fight. So, yeah, pride isn't necessarily a good reason to tune in, but this team, with the way the season has gone, you'd like to end on a positive note and kind of have the ball rolling downhill uh, as we step into the offseason. So, thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and I am out. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.